Hello. Hey, there we go. Michael Jackson in the house, eh? I love the seriousness of how Bo is leading this service, eh? Why don't we give him a round of applause, eh? Come on, Bo. It's excellent. You're doing a good job. It's, it looks easy until you come up here and do it, and then you appreciate how hard it is, actually. Um, but welcome, guys. I always commend people in winter who come out to an evening service, so you can pat yourself on the back once again and enjoy a cappuccino after this. It's cold, and uh, did anyone else here watch the comrades today? Really? Anyone else? Not another person. Did, who didn't know the comrades was on today? Seriously, eh? The ultra marathon, the longest marathon in Africa, and you guys didn't even know it's on. But I'll give you some information just to help you for next year. The guy who won it, won it in about five hours and 13 minutes. He ran 87 kilometers in five hours and 13 minutes. That's an average of like going at about three, three and a half minutes a K for like 90 kilometers. Sometimes these, these oaks are running under three minutes a kilometer at one stage. I mean, is that humanly impossible? Humanly possible, hey? It's just incredible. And uh, he broke the record today. The girls also, she broke a woman record that had been standing since 1989. She broke it by 10 minutes today, so that's impressive. Welcome, Tristan. Yay, in the house. Excellent. Okay, so tonight um, are we, we, we're looking at fathering a, as a theme, and I want to look at our sonship and our daughtership. But if I say son, it, 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 it means all of us. Okay, so let's not get too too specific in the word son, but we all sons, we do, we daughters, and the Bible refers to sons because it was just a, a cultural thing that they, they referred to that. It wasn't they were isolating daughters at all. But we're looking at our, our sonship tonight and, and what does that mean for each one of us serving the Lord? What does that look like for each one of us? Who's read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Not read, watched. Hey? And read. Hey? Even better. You get a free cappuccino if you've read the book. Amen. Um, but you remember in, in one of the scenes, the professor or the guy who owns the house is sitting there and Peter, what's Peter's sister's name? Su Lucy, Susan. Susan are sitting there and they're working out what's going on with Lucy, right? Because now Lucy has been in the wardrobe. She's seen the fawn. She's gone all over the place. She's come back and she's convinced, guys, I promise you there's a world outside of that. And they are kind of wacko about this. So they sit down with the professor and they ask him a few questions and he listens, he listens, he listens. And eventually he says something profound. He says to them, look, I want to sum it up. There's, there's three uh, conclusions that this could be. Either Lucy is bad. She's a terrible, terrible person. And, uh, or she's mad or she's telling the truth. And so he says to her, so first of all, is Lucy bad? Have we seen anything else in our life that would give us the idea that Lucy is bad? And they look and they go, mm, she's never been bad before. She's not a, a terrible person. She's kind, caring, loving. She really wants to look after people. So she's not bad. He says, okay, so she's not bad. Is she mad? They said, well, no, she's, she's, a, she's got her head screwed on. She understands things. She's always trying to look after people. She's, she's a sensible person. She's not mad. He says, okay, well, if, you, if you're convinced that she's not bad and she's not mad, she must be telling the 
truth. And so that's almost the way and interpretation of, of what, what the Bible is and what the Lord wants us to begin to deal with as we disciples and followers of Jesus and we're working out this life. Either this is all bad. This world that we're living in, the Bible that we're following, Jesus that came, it's all just rubbish, it's bad, it's actually not good for us. Jesus said, I never came to give you a good life, I came to give you purpose, but if this is not right, and I'm paraphrasing now, but if this is not right, then it's, 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 it's not like, it's, not like it's, it's good to have a little bit of Jesus and your life. It's either it's the worst thing you could do, or it must be true. So following Jesus is the worst thing to do if it's the wrong thing. We need to discern that. Or it's the, the wildest, weirdest, silliest thing to do. Right? Who comes to church on a Sunday night in the cold? Why would you gather with people on a Wednesday evening and talk about your heart? Why would you wake up early in the morning to read a book about people 2,000 years ago when there's things going on in social media right now? Why would you do anything that was different to the way that you want to do things? Right? So either this whole faith journey, this following Jesus is bad, it's not good for you, and we should really stop right now, or we're mad and we need to get into a psychiatric ward, or it's the truth. And I feel like we live our lives often and we read this stuff and we understand it and we unpack it and we're like, wow, this is so nice. But we're kind of still living with this, I'm not sure if it's bad, mad, or if it's the truth. And so for some of us, we sit here and, and, and we live our lives and, and we almost always, and I'm speaking to myself as much as all of us, we're almost always in this confused state of like, we're trying to convince ourselves what is the truth? What is real? What's not real? Should I do this? Should I not? And I feel like we, we're going into a world these days where we're not going to give them the grace to do that anymore. We're not, we're not given the choice to be lukewarm, to be in or out, to kind of be passive. We're not, you're not, you're not, you're not going to be given that choice anymore. We're living in a world these days where everyone is asking truth and answers and everything, especially young people, you have been faced every single moment of every single day at school, university, even walking into Woolworths. You're faced with this question, what do you believe? What's your belief? What, what are you going to stand on? What is right? What is wrong? And so the stance of, I don't really know if it's bad, mad, or if it's good, but I'm going to kind of just sit back and hopefully it'll make sense, is not going to work. It's not going to fly anymore. It's, it's going to become to eventually a point where if you don't make any decisions, if you don't make a stand, if you don't actually decide what it is, a decision is going to be made for you. And that's not a threat. I think that's just what I believe. The decisions are, making, are being made for us if we don't make a decision. Does that make sense? The world decides for us what is right or wrong. Social media, walking into a shopping center now, going to school and university, these are all things that are being filtered into our minds until eventually they are going to make the decision for us unless we actually take this seriously and go, either this is bad, I'm going to leave it and go do my own thing, or this is mad and I'm going to pray for these people because they need help, or I'm going to go for it with my life. Or I'm going to give my life to this thing. Or I'm going to begin to figure out more and more what is actually the point here. Like, what is the Lord saying, and what do I actually need to do, and how can I commit my life to this thing? Because only when we do that 
I think we begin to discern, we begin to identify, we begin to realize the joy of what Christianity is. Jesus says, I wanna spit out people lukewarm, not because he's a terrible person, not because he's being ugly, not because he's not being loving, but he's saying, if you're lukewarm, you'll, you will be worse in the world. Rather be worldly as much as you, you want and do whatever you like or serve Jesus, but don't try and get the best of both. You're gonna get the worst of both. And so lukewarm is not a good place because you think you're believing and you think you're following something, but you're actually holding on to nothing because there is so much more to follow Jesus than just to come to church, read your Bible, and hope that you're good enough to get to heaven. And so the, the question I want to ask is, what is the problem? And I ask myself every day, what's the problem? Why don't I want to get up and serve you, Lord? Why don't I want to listen to you? Why don't I want to do it myself? Am I tired? Am I lazy? Am I stubborn? Am I distracted? Is there too much social media in my life? What is the one thing that's putting me down? What's this one thing that's getting in my place? And I think those all play a part, but those are all things of like putting me in the center of trying to get myself going. I must be lazy, therefore there must be a problem. Or I must be tired, therefore. But there's more, there's more to that. Romans 10 verse 17, Paul says, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. What he's trying to say is, it's not that we must spend every single moment of every single day hearing scripture, but it's about we need to begin to know what we know so that we know until we don't know. That made no sense at all. Let's start again. We need to get to a place of understanding truth so that we know what is right and wrong. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. We need to commit ourselves to say, if I don't know, I'm gonna continue trying to figure out what it is and then I'll make a decision until what it is. If I don't know, that doesn't mean that's a decision. It means I need to figure out what that means. That's what faith comes from hearing. Your faith doesn't grow by just coming to church. Your faith comes from grabbing what the Lord is saying to you and beginning to work with it and making a decision on the base of truth. And once you know the truth, commit your life to it. And if you don't know the truth, spend all your time figuring out what is the truth and then commit your life to it. And so a lot of the time, uh, and Cameron shared a little this morning when he started, he said there are sins of commission, things that we do wrong, but there's thing, also sins of omission, things that we don't do that we should do. And I don't think as, as us as followers of Jesus, we take enough time to begin to actually emphasize what are the things that we should be doing that we don't do. Put a lot of emphasis on, oh, I'm bad, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this, or I'm not doing this, or I'm not doing this, or I'm not doing this, and if I did this and if I did this and I did this, I'd be a better person. But what about the things that we, we, we tend to, we should be doing that we don't do? The sins of a mission. And so I just want to stir us up tonight. I want to motivate us and encourage us to look at it. it's not about the will of me trying to understand it. It's not about me um, knowing more about the Bible necessarily and then I'll be a good person. There's more that Jesus is inviting us to. He wants us to be sons. He wants us to be servants. And so you can't be a son if you're not willing to serve and you can't be a servant if you don't understand your identity as a son. I'll help you understand and unpack that more as we go into this. So I want to open up to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And while I'm reading 
And while we're unpacking this, I want us to be also begin to identify this is what it would look like. This is what it looks like to read the Bible. Reading the Bible is not just I'm reading about a story 2,000 years ago and I'm trying to understand it for what is it saying, but I'm, I'm actually reading into, I'm putting myself in the story, I'm putting myself in what this means, and I can begin to read and discern what the Lord is saying to me as I begin to unpack this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. says, Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? So Jesus immediately starts with this personal question to each one of us. Hey? He, gave, he, he doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a generalized thing. There's not, there's not a thing of, well, who do we say as a corporate body? Who do we say as a general person? He's asking us, who do you say I am, Peter? Who do you say I am, John? Who do you say I am, Matthew? Who do you say the, 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 the son of the Lord is? Jesus is, 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 is asking a personal question to each and every one of us. He's looking at all of us. And he's asking us individually to begin to make sense of this. And not, it's not to challenge us, not to make us feel um, isolated, but he's asking us in a way, he's saying, I care about you, Barama. I look at you. I'm asking you the question. I'm asking you, Anton. I'm asking you the question. Because the personal relationship, it's not a generalized thing. He's an intimate, loving, generous, close God. Who's not just asking, who do the people say I am, but who do you say I am? I want to know, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? Do you know what I can do for you? Do you understand that? When we, when we do um, talks and discussions, or you go to conferences, and you go to some teaching and stuff, the worst part for me is always when they stop talking and they say, okay, now we're going to get into groups of three, and we're going to discuss what you've learned. And then we're going to want one person to stand up and share with the group what they've learned. Who likes that? Huh? It's not nice. Sometimes my heart sinks. It's, oh, I'd love to just sit here and listen to you talk. I don't want to talk to other people about what I've learned and then try to figure it out. And then I have to stand up like I'm doing another oral and I'm back at school and I've explained to the class, well, this is what we learned. It's frustrating, right? But it's, there's a point to it. There's a reason why people do that. There's a reason why we get into groups, we unpack something, and we talk in our groups because the, the person who's teaching us wants us to unpack and understand, do we actually know what is being taught? Do you understand what is being taught? Do you understand what we're saying? Can you put it into your own words? And Jesus is saying that to the disciples as well. Is it, do you understand me for who you are, or is this just a general thing that you're trying to look at? Then he carries on, verse 16. He says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. There's Peter's confession, boom. And this, one of the most profound moments in the whole of scripture. Because up to this point, Jesus has been modeling and showing the disciples who he is in certain little ways. But now's the time. He can see the cross and he's going for the cross and he begins. That's why in verse 13, it says, now Jesus changes shift. 
he's now beginning to start to accelerate what he wants to teach the disciples. And so he says to them, Peter's confession is the beginning of something amazing. And Peter says, you are the son of God. You are the Christ, the, the living God. And so for us, we always read over that and we think, wow, that's cool, that's nice. But in a Hebrew context, understanding what this means, for them, they'd been waiting for the Messiah for, for thousands of years. And this confession, we've heard it many, many times. And for them, it's this confession of, you're not just a good prophet, someone who comes to teach. You're the guy who's going to change the world. You're the guy that's going to, going to transform our lives. You're the guy that's going to take back Israel from Rome. You're the guy that's going to fight our battles. You're the king. You are the living God. You're not just a Messiah who's going to come and win and then go, but you're going to come, win, and you're going to stay with us. There's this profound confession that Peter sees and understands, and that gets Jesus going. Verse 17, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Um, if you've ever been an intern with me, and there's a few around here, uh, you will know it's very dangerous to sit me down and say, David, I have a question for you, hey? Because you know that gets me going. And I, it does, and, and I can carry on and on and on and on and on. We can go into all these different tangents and eventually you're sitting more confused than your question had, right? And it's just like, what the heck, right? Same as when, when every day Anne comes back from school and she gets on my office door, knocks it, comes in, and she, she wants to explain the day to me. It's like, Dad, and then she just jibble, jibble, and it's like, Ariel and, 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 and bikes and sand, and she just can't figure out the words where it's going, but she's just so excited to tell me everything that it all meshes into one little ball. And I, when, I, when I see Jesus understanding Peter, just confessed, I can see a little bit of Anne and a little bit of David as an intern leader here. It's like Peter has this confession, and it's like Jesus has been waiting like 32, 33 years for this moment. It's like he's got it. The man has got it. And so then he goes off, Peter, you are blessed. Peter, you got the keys of the kingdom. Peter, whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Peter, the gates of hell is not going to prevail against you. And he just goes on and on and on and on and on about all these amazing things. Are that okay? Let's hope. All these amazing things that happen. All these amazing things that go on. And Jesus is so excited and so, um, he just, just, it just, excited and passionate about all these things that, that Peter has responded to. And I want us to take note of, of these things. As a side note, what is Jesus actually saying? And we can read this for Peter. We can read this for ourselves. That when we understand and we see Jesus as the Messiah, we are blessed. That blessing doesn't come from trying really hard or putting a lot of effort or knowing your gifting or doing good stuff. Blessing begins its birth of knowing who Jesus is. Why do I know that? Because Jesus says, Peter, you are blessed because of the confession, not because of anything you've done. 
you are blessed. You can sit there knowing, I am blessed, and the, ble- the blessing of the Lord is on me based on just understanding who He is. That you have the keys of the kingdom in your hand. That you are not just a person who's going to give their life to Jesus and you spend the next 50 years just waiting around and being a good person. But the Lord has given you access and power to help people see Jesus. That you can transform lives. That you can see things change in your family. Your mom and your dad and your brother and your sister and your aunts and the people that just cause a lot of tension in your life. You have the keys of the kingdom to begin to see breakthrough happen in their life. Not based on your gifting or how much you know or how much you've done, but based on just knowing who Jesus is. Knowing who Jesus is protects you from any evil that's coming against you. Not that you will be completely protected like you won't ever experience any evil, but nothing, the gates of hell will never prevail over you. Nothing can take you down when you know just the revelation of Jesus. This is not me. This is what Jesus is saying. So why is Jesus so excited? Why is Jesus so in awe about this? Why is Jesus so ready to explain to Peter all these things? And I don't believe for one second other than I believe Jesus is excited. I believe Jesus is going on about this because he is just so badly wanting to show Peter and the disciples and us as disciples the, the whole point that it's not following Jesus and understanding these things is not about gifting. It's not about how much I'm not doing or how much I've done. It's not about knowing or not knowing. It's not about all the sin. It's not about your gifting. At the core, at the foundation of, of discipleship serving Jesus, he's saying, this is what you build your life on. Thank you, my brother. This is what you build your life on. You build your life on the revelation of Jesus. You build your life on knowing who Jesus is. You build your life on the confession, Jesus is King and Lord of my life. Why am I making so much emphasis on it? Because I think we think we need to move on from that. We think we need to do something else, but I think we need to learn to say, wow, I need to sit with that as the place that I begin and I move, I grow everything from. It's the revelation of Jesus. It's not gifting, it's awareness. And I feel like that is our biggest hurdle in our lives. We don't understand. It's too simple for us to grasp that I must just know who Jesus is. And if I know who Jesus is, that all that comes? That sounds too easy. Hey? It sounds too easy. But it becomes our biggest hurdle because we, we then try and put ourselves in the position, okay, how do I become Jesus? What do I do? And it's like, no, you're moving on from it. It's not what you do. It's about knowing the revelation of Jesus in your life. And that's what a son and daughter looks like. A son and a daughter knows who he or she is. Your identity is in the revelation of who Jesus is in your life. And so this is amazing, and it's profound, and it's beautiful, and we love it. And we often stop there and go, guys, carry on with your life, serve Jesus, focus on Jesus, just keep it Jesus-centered, and you'll be fine. 
But for some reason, we come back next week, we come back tomorrow, we find ourselves battling still with grasping this whole thing. Why is it so hard to grasp this? Why is it so hard to understand this? Why is it so hard for us to get this? We carry on to verse 21. Jesus says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And so Jesus begins to change his tone a bit now. It's not just all about the keys of the kingdom and about blessing, but there's another side to this whole story. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. So the question is, we get the story, Jesus now saying, I'm going to go suffer. And, and then he comes to this place and, and Peter gets in front and says, hey, Jesus, that's never going to happen on my watch. You know, I'm the, you're going to build the church on me. I've got the revelation. I'm the guy. You, that's never going to happen to you, my brother. I'm taking over from now. And then Jesus turns around and says, hey, Satan, get behind me. You're a hindrance to me. As we see this complete polar opposite parallel of what is going on here, Peter is the, the, the confession, the revelation, he understands it, the church is going to be built on this, he has the keys of the kingdom, the gates of hell will not prevail over this revelation that Peter has, but yet Peter is Satan. We think, whoa, too much for my mind to comprehend, I'm going to put it away for another day. We don't actually grasp the tension that we're talking about. And, and as human beings, we battle to handle this power and this confrontation, this goodness and this glory and this mercy and this wonder that I can, I can attain, but we can't handle it with this opportunity of being rebuked and being seen as Satan. And so that Jesus is so harsh, Jesus turning around, Jesus responding in such a way, and there's always a reason why Jesus acts in certain ways. It's not by mistake. He's, asked, he's going after this thing because he's saying, Peter, and he's talking to us as human beings, he's talking to all of us, you are trying to grasp the kingdom without the cross. What does this mean? You are trying to get the good stuff without the bad stuff. You are not allowing, you're not allowing those to marry together. You're not allowing to sit with both of those feelings, both of those tensions at once. And so what I'm saying, why do we struggle? Why do we have a problem in our lives? It's because we enjoy the good stuff, but when the bad stuff come, or when, not just the bad stuff, when we get in the way of Jesus, we either look at ourselves and go, I'm a terrible person, I obviously don't know who Jesus is, or we blame other people. And we think, am I for something wrong here? I don't understand this. Obviously, I didn't, I didn't get it right. And so we, we, we feel like we can't merge these two together. And so we're always running in other directions. We're having, having wow, this is an amazing encounter. But we can't handle the idea that actually your human DNA is wired to wanting to get in front of Jesus. What does that mean? Let's try to get it down to explaining in, in one sense. As a human being, I am wired to want to take over 
As a human being, I am wired to want to control. As a human being, I am wired to want to know and to do things my own way. And so we are, we, that is not something that we can remove in one sense. That is something that we, not, we, can't, we can stop, but we need to accept and be aware of. That we're aware of that as human beings, we're always going to want to get ahead, get in front. We don't want to follow. We don't want to do that. And so it's not a, a case of just accepting that and living out the rest of our lives knowing, oh, we're just going to be bad. But, but it's sitting in this understanding and awareness that that is always going to be the hurdle that we're always going to come under. That's always going to be the thing that slips you up. And when you know that, hopefully what it begins to do is it begins to remind us and push us to what we need, what Jesus is, is emphasizing in the beginning. How do we handle these tensions? How do we understand both sides? And so that is what a servant is. And that's why Jesus calls us to be sons, daughters, and servants. Because as a son, you know your identity, and you know your identity is rooted in the revelation of Jesus, and knowing who he is, not who you are. And you're a servant because a servant serves. The servant doesn't take control. The servant doesn't order. The servant gives. And so if you can marry those two in your, li- your life, the servant reminds itself that it's, he's not gonna, he mustn't take over the leader, but the son reminds him that he's not just a servant. Does it make sense? You need to live with both these tensions. And what we do and why we run around and why we're always distracted in our lives, I think, is because we're trying to be a son and then we want to take control or we think we need to be a servant and that we don't deserve anything. But it's both. It's both. I am a son of God. My identity is rooted in Jesus, but that doesn't mean I must take control. It means I must serve. It means I must follow. It means I must lay my life down for something more than just what I want. But if we keep running around f- trying to find Instagram posts and, and the next craze and the next statement and the next thing that's gonna make me feel better, that's not how a servant acts. And so we're always gonna get back to this place of saying, I lose my identity. And then we're going to find it in Jesus. But if we don't grasp that we are a servant and a son, we're never going to move on. And that's why Jesus is so harsh. He's not harsh to Peter because he's thinking, Peter, I thought you were good and now you're actually bad. He's harsh to Peter because he's saying to Peter, Peter, you need to grasp this or you'll never understand the first part. This is a loving act of challenging Peter with the rebuke. So to end off, a few closing thoughts that just to keep with you to think about, and we can wrap this up. Number one, if you don't allow the Lord to keep revealing Jesus to you, you'll always be off. What do I mean? Jesus knew that without understanding who Jesus is, it's impossible to follow him. If we don't allow Jesus to continually reveal himself to us, that's what it looks like. That's what coming to church, reading the Bible, praying, becoming a disciple of Jesus. It's about saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to forget for one day what the revelation of Jesus is. It's not I need to come and do these things so that I become a son. It's I am a son and I want to come and do these things that I do not forget 
if we don't continually remind ourselves of who we are in Jesus, of the revelation of who Jesus is, we will always be off. How do I know that? Because Peter was, Jesus was waiting for Peter to confess. And the moment Peter confessed, he identified that. Not everything else that Peter had done, not everything else the disciples had done, that. That confession is the beginning point. And you say, if you take one thing home with you, you write in your journal, you write in the front of your Bible, you just say, Lord, I want my life to be about getting to know you. I want my life to be, to never forget you. We have a, um, Brendan Becker, you might, some of you might know him, his family uh, in our church, and he's been at BSSM for three years. And the Bill B. Johnson Award is, is one of the highest awards that they give them there. Out of all the third year students, they identify one person that has uh, modeled uh, the gifting that Bill has, has brought and just modeled just serving Jesus the most. And, and um, Brendan got this award. And when he came up and he shared, he said, I found the pearl of good price. I found the pearl. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life making sure, giving up everything that gets in the way, leaving relationships and gaining relationships, doing everything possible to not allow this pearl of great price to be lost. That is it. That is it. At the core level of being a disciple of Jesus, it's about not allowing ourselves to forget the revelation of who Jesus is. Number two, Jesus is not looking for gifts. He's looking for obedience. He's not looking for gifted people. He's not looking for people who do good jobs. He's looking for obedience. He's looking for people who see Jesus as Jesus, who put him as Lord and who serve him as a son. Number three, Jesus is a living God that has power to bring life into our lives. He has the keys of the kingdom. He protects us from evil. Number four, Jesus is very serious about this. He is very, very serious about this. And so that should be always an indication to us when Jesus is serious, as a follower of Jesus, I need to get serious about these things. It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the man of God. It's for every single one of us because it's about life. Number six, number seven, uh, five, sorry. We must put more effort into knowing who Jesus is and to try to stop the wrong things in our lives. We spend more time trying to fix the things that are wrong in our life and trying to put more effort in how we sort these things. And don't get me wrong, it's amazing, and we need to begin to be aware of the things that are stumbling blocks in our lives, the things that trip us up, the things that get in the way. But they are not more important than knowing Jesus. They're not one above. It, the, the, the foundation is, I must get to know Jesus because the more I get to know Him and His love for me and His identity in me and, and what He says about me, those things begin to unfold themselves. Number six, you're a son and a servant at the same time. And number seven, following Jesus or discipleship is not about how and what, but who and why. It's not about how. How do I do this? What do I do? But about who? Who's the person and why do I do it? And, until you, and when you answer the why and the who, you begin to follow Jesus. And I want to end off with that last verse that Jesus said to Peter. After he turned around and rebuked him, he said to him, for Peter, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
And so that, that is the, the heart of the message. That is the heart of our life. It's about asking the Lord every single day, Lord, how do I set my mind on you, not on me? What is it that you're calling me to do? What are you calling me to give up? What are you calling me to add? What are you calling me to think about? What are you calling me to stop thinking about? What relationship are you calling me to to invest in and what are you calling me to let go of? What are the things that are gonna help me set my mind on things above and not on things of man? Let's pray. Why don't we stand as we as we pray and just take a moment to allow our minds to think to set our minds on things above. So Jesus, we welcome your presence and we thank you that you're here. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that's amongst us. Father, we welcome your presence right now. Say, come and just focus our minds on you, not on the things that are going on around us in Jesus. We welcome your presence. And so I just invite you as we as we worship, as we respond, that we our cry our heart, that our worship comes from a place of just asking the Lord to reveal himself to us again. And as Jesus said. This has not been revealed to you by man. This has been revealed to you by your Father in heaven. And so just ask. If you some of you just lost sight of the Lord, you've lost sight of His what He says over your life, you've, you've lost sight over what He calls you. You've lost sight of your name, your identity, your sonship, your daughtership. Maybe you've never ever understood that. Who you really are. Just begin to ask Him. Because He promises that the Father is the one who reveals this to you, not you. And if you, if that's you. I just, just respond. Jesus, I just pray right now, Lord, that the revelation of Jesus will begin to fill our minds and hearts once again. That we'll know, we'll know once again of who you are. We'll know the love and the depth and the heights of your mercy and your goodness and your grace for us. Jesus, we pray that you'll become and you'll reveal more intimately yourself. And we know that's what you want. We know that's your heart cry. And so we invite you to come and have your way. And so church, just stand in that place and stand in faith. Faith comes from hearing, hearing what the Lord says over your life, hearing the words that Jesus says over you. He doesn't require your best gift. He requires your obedience, he requires your heart, he requires you to know who he is. And from there, springs living waters.
I really encourage you. I really encourage you that it's not about passivity, that the kingdom of God, following Jesus, is not just about being passive. The scriptures say, be as, be as mild as a lamb, but as, as, as wise as a serpent. That our passivity, our resting must be in Him and in His knowledge and who He is. We must be firm and we must be strong and we must be relentless in what we need to bring to Him. We need to bring our minds, we need to bring our hearts, we need to bring our time. We need to bring the decision, do we believe this or not? We need to come to terms with that. We need to come head on. Do you believe you're a son? Do you believe you're a daughter? Do you believe that you are willing to serve the King of Kings? And if you're not, that's fine. But rather ask Him for that. Meet Him face to face in that place. But don't think that passivity and just sitting and just hoping pie in the sky, that something's just gonna happen. Stand firm. Stand firm in what you believe and ask for more. Jesus says your people are asking for more. We pray as we worship. We pray for your fire, Lord. Pray for your your presence to be here, that we see again a new, fresh revelation of your presence. what he's calling you to do that's the relentless spirit he wants from you